Welcome to the Commission Podcast. I'm Sarah from the Commission team. On the 25th of January 2020, we gathered for the Commission Women's Day, a morning of Bible teaching, worship, and time together for women all across the network. 300 women from 32 churches throughout London attended, hearing talks on the theme of building a gospel community in a lonely city. Today, we hear the first talk from Linda Trevitt, women's worker at Christchurch Earlsfield, talking on Luke 15, entitled, The Motivation to Share Your Life. How we see someone massively affects how we relate to them, doesn't it? The following photos are quite good at showing this. The next photo. Oh yeah, so uh, William and Kate uh, rightly see Charlotte as their daughter, uh, so they're quite happy to pose for a relaxed family photo with her. Charlotte's new headmistress, on the other hand, rightly sees Charlotte as royalty, so a bow and a handshake are appropriate for her first day of school. I don't know about you, but that is definitely not how I was received on my first day of school. Or if we consider celebrity royalty, Beyonce and Jay-Z. To the world, they're a couple to be photographed and adored wherever they go. But to their daughter, they're just like any other parents, (laughs) taking them to an event that they'd rather not go to, even if that event is the Grammys. So, if how we see people is important for how we relate to them, then surely how we see God is even more important. Because how we see him will determine how we relate to him. The well-loved passage we're looking at today reveals a God who is different to how many people see him. It reveals a God who gives his best to welcome the most unlikely people to himself we'll see that this welcome isn't just the best news for us, but it's the best news for our city as well. So first, we see the God who welcomes sinners, verses one and two of Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Picture the scene. Jesus is there and he's center stage. He's the man who'd healed people, the man who'd driven out demons, the man who'd warned people about the cost of following him and the need to repent, the man who'd even raised someone from the dead. And who was listening to him? The local mayor and the MP, local heads of school, religious leaders, No, it was the tax collectors and sinners who were there to hear him, the dodgy bankers and the gang members, people that respectable types wouldn't choose to be in a room with, let alone share a meal with. For that culture, hospitality was a major deal, and eating with someone showed that you welcomed them. It implied intimacy and acceptance. This is why the Pharisees and teachers of the law are shocked at Jesus's behavior. Look at verse two with me again. This man, they can't even bring themselves to use his name. 
This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's what defines him. The total opposite of how the Pharisees related to these outcasts. Jesus is revealing a God who's completely different from the God they'd imagined. You see, as the religious people, the Pharisees and teachers of the law rightly understood that God is holy, totally unlike us in his moral perfection. They rightly saw that God can't have morally flawed people in his presence. Their mistake was to assess their moral performance by comparing themselves to other people. They assumed that God would welcome them because their behavior was better than those around them. They assumed that God would want nothing to do with those who weren't as well behaved as they were. No, the very thing they thought was unthinkable for a perfect God to do is what he does. Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus knew that this was a hard idea for the Pharisees and for the sinners to accept. And he knows it's not the easiest for us to really believe either. What is your view of God this morning? Do you feel confident that you're welcomed by him or not? Do you suspect that you are more welcome than that lady at church you feel sorry for, that one who struggles with sin in a way that you never have? Or do you fear that God disapproves of you? You're very aware that your life is far from what it should be. And unlike those at church who seem sorted, you fear that God isn't very pleased with you. However we see God this morning, Jesus wants to reveal him afresh to us from this passage today. He's going to show us a God who welcomes the most unlikely people to himself and who gives his very best to make that welcome possible. Seeing God in this way will not, will not only give us confidence and joy in relating to him, but we'll find that we want to extend his welcome of us to the people of this city. In the next three stories Jesus tells, he illustrates the way that God welcomes sinners. For the sake of time, our focus will be on the third and one of the most famous parables that Jesus told, where we'll see the God who gives himself to welcome sinners, verses 11 to 24. This story is so loved and so well known because it's shocking and amazing at the same time. So first, there's the shocking younger son who treats his father really badly, verse 12. Father, give me my share of the estate. The son is effectively telling his father that he'd be happy if his father were dead as he just wants his inheritance there and then. The son isn't grateful for his father's generosity. He just wants his father's stuff. Things continue to go downhill after that. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, 
and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. The son takes his father's stuff and uses it to give himself a good time. Eat, sleep, rave, repeat. The fun soon stops though, and he ends up desperate, hungry, and unclean among pigs. Not simply unclean in the sense of muddy, but according to Old Testament Jewish law, his contact with pigs made him ceremonially unclean before God and God's people. He'd be unwelcome in both the temple and the town. It's at this desperate stage that things start to change. He comes to his senses in verse 17. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. The son has realized that even his father's servants are living a much more comfortable life than he is. He plans to go back to his father, confess his sins, and ask to be reinstated as a servant rather than a son. He wants to try to make things right. His father has other ideas though, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's sometimes said that there are amazing buts in the Bible and uh, this has to be one of them. Let's picture the son trekking down the road. He would have been filthy, both literally and spiritually. He would have also smelt seriously bad. The father doesn't wait for any apologies though, or even for his son to take a shower or make a temple sacrifice for cleansing. Instead, he's filled with compassion and runs to hug him and kiss him, this gross, smelly son who'd wished him dead and taken a massive chunk of his property. The son can't quite believe it though. Surely he needs to set things straight. Surely he needs to make things right. Verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Wow. Here we have a father who's already given so much for, to his son, just for that son to waste it all. And now this father willingly goes through shame, uncleanness, and the giving of his best to welcome this son home.
Let me show you how. He goes through shame because it wasn't the done thing for a dignified older man to run in public, but he was willing to do it for this returning son before any apologies had been heard. He becomes unclean, both physically and spiritually. Remember, not only would this son have been smelly and dirty, but he was ceremonially unclean. And Jewish law said that contact with an unclean person made you unclean too. But the father willingly hugged his son, becoming unclean to welcome him. Finally, the father gives his very best to welcome this son back. The best robe in verse 22 would of course been his own robe. It would have been beautiful. The ring and the sandals would have been his. The fattened calf would have been the best of his herd to offer. This is a man who gave his best to welcome the worst. Can we see how costly the father's behavior is here? He would have cared for this boy and provided everything for him from the moment he was born. He would have worked long hours to ensure that his sons had a good inheritance. But the boy had effectively stuck up a finger at his father and blown all the cash. Imagine the embarrassment the father would have had to face when he went into town. Did you hear how that son of his behaved? Shocking, wasn't it? I'd never let my kids get away with something like that. How extraordinary that it's to a boy like that that the father gives his best. But Jesus is using this story to show us exactly what God's welcome of sinners looks like. He shows us what it's like to give his best to welcome the worst. At this stage in Luke's gospel, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, completely aware of what lies ahead of him once he arrives. He knew he was going to be shamed at the cross. He knew he was going to become completely unclean before his father, not because he's unclean in himself, but because we are. And he willingly took all of our sin and uncleanness on himself. Jesus was revealing the God who gives his best to welcome the worst. God is fully aware of how often we want good things from him, but we put knowing him better low down on our priority list. He knows how much we choose comfort over serving others. He's fully aware of how easily we judge those at church who don't seem to be pulling their weight. He's fully aware of how we look at that Christian brother or sister who's messed up and think, I would never do that. Whether we think we're good, like the Pharisees, or no, we're not, like the sinners, we've all treated God the same way. 
But amazingly, God doesn't leave us wallowing in our filth. In Christ, he gives people like us the very best he could to bring us to himself. Through Christ, we're given a beautiful robe of righteousness to cover us completely. And in eternity, we'll be welcomed into the best feast we could ever imagine. If we're Christians here today, we know the God who's given his best to welcome the worst. This is why the sinners were all gathered round to hear Jesus. They knew how they treated God and they knew they needed a savior. The Pharisees and teachers of the law haven't realized this though. They're the ones represented by the older brother in the story. Jesus wants to teach them about the God whose welcome isn't earned. Verses 25 to 32. The older son knows something is up. He hears music and dancing and asks the servant what's going on. Verse 27. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The servant seems confident that he's just passed on good news, but the older brother does not see it that way. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He's invited to a huge party, but we can picture him crossing his arms, scowling and putting his earphones in to block out the celebrations. Amazingly, the father doesn't ignore him like we might with a moody teenager. He went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Again, amazingly, the father doesn't tell off his eldest. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, the older brother had massively misunderstood something about his father. He sees their relationship as contractual, a bit like an employer-employee relationship. He saw that his job was to do the work faithfully and well, and he did. He was always on time, often stayed late, and you'd never catch him scrolling through Instagram or Facebook during a quiet moment. The older son saw that his good behavior was deserving of the father's welcome and blessing, just like an employee would expect their wages. This is why the older brother is so distressed at the father's welcome of the younger brother. The younger brother has done the total opposite of keeping to his side of a supposed contractual agreement. He didn't just behave terribly, losing the company money. He didn't even show up to work. 
behaviour that should mean he'd get fired if that's how the father's treatment of his sons worked. But it wasn't. The father's joy didn't come from the number of hours his sons clopped in at work or even how good they'd been at the job. The father's biggest joy was that his dead son was alive again. His lost son was found. That's what was worth throwing a party for. Just like the older brother, the Pharisees don't understand this. They thought that God's welcome was earned. And as those who ticked all the right boxes, they thought they'd be the VIPs at God's welcome party. Surely the tax collectors and sinners wouldn't even be invited. But Jesus has been lovingly showing them the God who welcomes sinners and eats with them. Not because he's an employer who gives wages for good work, but because he's a generous father who loves to give gifts to children who can't give anything back in return. A father who knows we need righteousness as a gift, not a wage, because we could never earn it. A father whose joy comes from the dead being made alive and the lost being found. How amazing that this is the God who welcomes us in. Jesus wants the Pharisees and teachers of the law to see this, and he wants us to see this. Not only so that we understand how God has welcomed us, but so that we delight in his welcome. Only then will we be motivated to share our lives with others and welcome them in. At the beginning, we saw that how we see someone determines how we relate to them. But unlike how celebrities or royalty see each other, how we see God changes everything. How do you see God at the moment? Is he more like your employer or your father? If you see him like an employer, your relationship with him will always be dependent on how hard you've worked or how good a job you've done. Like the older brother at the end of the story, you'll think you're working very hard to serve God and others. But deep down, you think you're owed for all you're doing. You'll feel angry and offended if you don't get the recognition you think you deserve especially if others are praised and admired instead of you. Or like the younger brother returning home, you'll be very aware of your failings. You'll know how much you've messed up and you'll want to make things right with God, doing things that you hope will get you into his good books. Or for many of us, we'll be fully aware that God has made us alive in Christ when we were dead. We know in our heads that God found us when we were lost. We know that God has welcomed us. 
but in the daily grind of work, family life, and even church, we can forget how good he's been to us. We forget that we have a father who gave his best to welcome us home. We serve him because we know it's right, but we lack joy. We know it's good to make the effort to reach out to neighbors, communities, and colleagues, but it just feels like hard work, and there's so much else to do. What do you think would have motivated the younger brother to keep serving his father once he'd been welcomed back? What would drive him to give his best to his father when he was having a rubbish day out in the fields? Surely, it would be that image of his father running towards him and hugging him, giving him his robe, becoming unclean and shamed for him. That memory of his father giving his best to welcome the worst home. Focusing on that welcome would motivate the son to give his best to his father more than anything else could. The whole Gospel of Luke, not just this story, shows us how Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost. Both the lost older brothers and the lost younger brothers. He gave the best he could so that we could be welcomed into his family. We need to ask for God's help every day, not only to understand this welcome, but to rejoice in it, to remember how good it is. We're surrounded by neighbors, colleagues, people on the tube at school who were spiritually dead and lost. If we're Christians, we know the God whose joy it is to see these people found and made alive. Let's ask him to change us so that the joy of seeing people found would be our joy. And let's ask him to use us to willingly reach out to those around us, to share our lives with them and offer them the good news of a welcome that is way better than any they'll get elsewhere. Let's pray to close. Father God, thank you so much that in Christ you gave your best so that we could be welcomed in. Thank you that through Christ, lost people are found and dead people come to life. Lord, please change us so that the joy of seeing people found would be our joy. And please use us to willingly share our lives with those around us so that they too can know your welcome. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Commission podcast. To be notified about future Commission events, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Commission LDN.